It can happen in any of our families. We have to be very aware and open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, Michelle is a tremendous soul winner. And she's a soul winner not because she's so talented. Now, again, don't misunderstand me. She's got a number of talents. But if you would have talked to her a number of few years back and said, Oh, do you feel like you have the gift of evangelism? She would have said, No. <clears throat> but God's used her because she has been willing to be used of God. And you know what? Each and every one of us can be a tool in God's hands and be used to encourage and even enlist others into the family of God if we'll just open our hearts and be available to God. Well, anyway, uh, that's, that's exciting. Well, I want you to take your Bible, turn over to the book of Nehemiah tonight. Nehemiah chapter 1. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 1. And somebody reminded me that I had started a message last week and I never finished it. I wish they would have told me that before I put this one together. <clears throat> I'd forgotten all about it. I'm not joking. That sounds terrible, but that is a reality. <clears throat> and then I asked somebody else today, after they said that, I said, just now, did I start a message last week? I, they said, well, you know, I think you did. I said, well, I'm glad you remember too. <laughs> all right, Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. <clears throat> I live my life, the Bible says a day at a time, literally it seems that that's how I live my life. Uh, once it's done, it's over, I forget about it and move on. I, I can't seem to keep up with the past so much, I just kind of get through the present. Uh, you, tonight, Nehemiah chapter 1, <clears throat> I want to begin reading some scripture, and I want to set the stage for our message tonight. And by doing so, what we're going to try to do is uh, lay a biblical foundation, we're going to basically share this... Uh, event or this account in the Bible, and then we're going to make an application, okay? And so I want to just look at Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to read through some verses. I'll make a few comments, and we'll read a few more verses, make a few more comments, and then before it's over with, we'll arrive at our passage where we're going to take our thought, and then we'll, we'll just take that and drive it home a little bit, okay? We're not going to spend a lot of time tonight. We have communion. We want to be moving along quickly tonight. But let's take just a few moments and do this. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. If you'd read with me silently, I'll read aloud. The Bible says, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity, there in the province, are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted, and prayed before the God of heaven. Now, Jerusalem had been attacked and conquered in 606 B.C. through 586. There were a couple of different times when the Babylonians had come in and uh, had, had ultimately left the city in ruin and removed the inhabitants either by killing them or taking them captive to their land. So here Nehemiah is, is, uh, um, is the king's cupbearer now. A number of years have passed since the Babylonian captivity began. A number of years have passed since the city's been left in ruin. A number of years have passed since the people of God have been held captive. And now Nehemiah approaches the king. Nehemiah is found there before the king, and he's weeping now. He hears the condition and the situation of the walls and of Jerusalem, and he says, My, oh my, what a mess we find ourselves in. He's the cupbearer. And his heart breaks now, and he approaches the king. In Nehemiah chapter 2, notice verse 2 through 5. 
The Bible says, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very uh, sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my, uh, not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what doest thou make, dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me into Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. Man, I mean, Nehemiah finds favor in the king's eyes. And he goes and says, listen, king, I just want the right to go back to my hometown. I want to go back there and build it. And he finds favor in the king's eyes once again. And he sends him to Jerusalem to build the city that had been laid waste a number of years before. He arrives and he begins his three-day survey of the city. Notice in chapter 2, verse 11 now. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days... And I rose in the night, and I saw, uh, excuse me, and I, and I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with, with me, save the beast that I rode upon. He says, I've come to Jerusalem, and he says, I was there for three days. And it appears that he arose each evening, and he began to survey the city. He began to go walking down its lanes, and he's walking around some of the debris, and he's finding his way through the streets, and he's recognizing the walls that have been destroyed and torn down, and he sees the, the burned rubbish of the city itself, the rocks all crumbled and everything in a mess. Man, his heart breaks once again and God puts a vision on his heart and he sees exactly what God wants for him and he keeps that hidden in his heart for the time being. After making his survey, noting the distress, he finally approaches the people now. He approaches the rulers and he asks them to join him in the building project. Notice Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 17. Then said I unto them, See ye the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire? Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we may be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. So the work gets underway now. And like always, Satan and his emissaries are not happy about it. You never do anything for God that there's not going to be opposition. And the enemy raises his ugly head and he begins to ridicule and undermine the very work that God had placed on Nehemiah's heart. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1 through 2 now. We're getting there. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth. And took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Nehemiah goes to God in prayer now. And the work continues in spite of this, this attack. 
Nehemiah 4, 6, the Bible says, So built we the wall. And all the wall was joined together into the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. But as expected, the enemy is more angry than ever and begins to threaten harm now. Verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the wall of Jerusalem were made up, that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Again, it wasn't enough now to just sit and mock and make fun of them. Now, all of a sudden, they recognized that the work continued, that the people had a mind to work. Things were beginning to take place, and the, out of the rubble, the walls started to find their way up. And all of a sudden, they said, enough's enough. We're going to attack the city. We're going to kill those people. We're going to destroy and ruin their project. Once again, prayer was made and a watch was set in order to protect the workers. In verse 9 of chapter 4, it says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God, set a watch against them day and night because of them. Again, the threats of an imminent attack weighed heavy on those men and women that found themselves working. They felt very vulnerable, and as a result, they were very fearful. May I tell you tonight that fear affects our strength. Fear affects our strength. Worry will wear you down, and it wore down those doing the work. Look at verse 10 now, Nehemiah 4, verse 10. And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. There's much rubbish so that we're not able to build the wall. Notice the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. A major project, a big job, and it was needed. There was rubbish everywhere from the destruction of the city. They had to move it out of the way. Ultimately, he says, hey, there's so much rubbish in the way. There's so much laying about. There's so much that is just totally and completely consuming the the area about us that we are unable to even build the wall because of the rubbish. I'm convinced that God would have us build some things tonight. But at times, there's too much rubbish in the way. And tonight, I want to preach a message I've entitled, You Can't Build on Rubbish. And so, in the next few minutes, I want to share three simple thoughts, and we're going to move right along here. As we consider Nehemiah and the people, and we apply it to our situation today in life, and in our ministries, and in our personal lives. Father, we come to you. Tonight, we're asking you for your leadership. Again, Lord, we see what took place a number of years ago. But Lord, people are still the same today. There's nothing new. The, The year may have changed and the people's names may have changed, but we're really the same. Lord, we need your strength today. And Father, we want to build some walls. And Lord, you've asked us to build some things. And Father, help us as believers to build those things which you've called us to build. Not to allow the rubbish to get in the way. Father, help us, Lord, we pray. Fill me with your spirit and, uh, Lord, may you stand in my shoes. Father, may you allow me to be a mouthpiece tonight. May you anoint every listening ear that they may hear with spiritual ears. 
Holy God of heaven, drive home your truths tonight. Lord, may we really heed what you say. And in heeding, not only hear, but do. Father, may we apply your truths in obedience to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First of all, I want to know God's plan tonight. God's plan. Even as the Nehemiah and the people were to build a wall, even as that was certainly God's plan for them, and their goal was to go forth and to construct these walls and to once again fortify the city. So we're to build some things tonight. It is God's plan. God would have us build our faith. Aren't you glad? Some of you were concerned I was going to talk about building that building, weren't you? Some of you got nervous, said, oh great, here we go again. I hope you never thought that for one second. But we're not going to touch on it, really. I'll use it as an illustration for one point, but I won't touch on it. You know what needs done. I don't need to preach at you on that right now. God would have us build our faith. Build our faith. In 1 Peter 2, 2, the Bible says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. He goes on in 2 Peter chapter 3, 18 to say, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Again, God's plan is that we grow and build our faith. How do you build your faith? Well, obviously, according to the Bible, you build your faith by spending time in the Word of God and on our knees. Our faith will not grow and our faith will not uh, build if we do not spend time in her devotional streams in the desert. Mrs. Cowman shares this point. She says, we are often in a religious hurry. We are often in a religious hurry in our devotions. How much time do we spend in them daily? Can it not be easily reckoned in minutes? Whoever knew an eminent holy man who did not spend much of his time in prayer? Did ever a man exhibit much of the spirit of prayer who did not devote much time in his closet? She goes on to say, Whitfield says, quote, Whole days and weeks have I spent prostrate on the ground in silent or vocal prayer. Fall upon your knees and grow there, is the language of another who knew whereof he affirmed. It has been said... That no great work in literature or science was ever wrought by a man who did not love solitude. We may lay it down as an elemental principle of religion. That no large growth in holiness was ever gained by one who did not take time to be often and long alone with God. Again, God would have us to build our faith. My question tonight is simply this. How's the building going? My thought is, are you spending much time in prayer, much time in the Word of God, much time in solitude? Not only would God have us build our faith, but God would have us build the kingdom. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Every time you win a soul to Christ, you increase the kingdom. Every time you share the gospel and someone makes a profession of faith, the kingdom is increased. It once again is built. It's growing. And that's God's goal and that's God's desire and that's God's design for your and my life. We are to build the kingdom. 
It is not enough to just simply go to church. It's not enough to simply sing in a choir. It's not enough to only teach a Sunday school lesson. It's not enough to work only on a bus route. It's not enough to work in the nursery. It's not enough to just simply bring food to an outing or some other activity. No, my friend. God wants us to build the kingdom. And we only build the kingdom when we lead others to Christ. God would have us build the kingdom... And he said unto them in Mark 16, 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature that was given to the disciples. And may I say, according to the word of God, you and I are called disciples in the word of God. There's no preacher that takes the form of a disciple only. It is simply every believer that becomes the disciple of Christ. God would have us build the kingdom. Number three, though, not only does he want us to build our faith and build the kingdom, he would have us build others. He'd have us build others. He wants us to invest in others. He wants us to influence others. He wants us to inspire others. What I mean is that if you're going to invest in others, you're going to have to spend some time with them. You're going to have to maybe even put a little bit of money and a little sweat and a little tears and some time in them. You don't invest in people by not having any contact with them. You can't influence people without contact. And you certainly can't inspire others unless you've spent some time with them, unless you've had contact with them, unless you've been there to encourage them and uplift them. God would have us build others. What are you doing for others to build them in their faith? That's part of God's plan and purpose for your and my life, to build others. To invest in their life, not teaching them basketball, although you may use basketball as a tool to open their mind to this, but what are you doing to insert the book into their heart? What are you doing to take the principles of God, the realities of Christ, and making it real in the life of someone else. When's the last time you called somebody that you, you, you uh, uh, loved in this church and said, hey, listen, I, I, I just read something that was awesome and I wanted to share it with you. I got in that book and I was reading today and the Bible said, and the, I read that portion of the Bible and God spoke to my heart and here's what he told me. It was such an encouragement to me. I thought you would be encouraged by it. We'll call and talk about what happened in current events and what's taking place in government and who's going to win the presidential race. But rarely ever do we invest in this. Place it into others' lives. When's the last time you made up your mind, I'm going to disciple somebody that's new in the faith and I'm going to help them grow in Christ so that they too can be where I'm at one day. Man, we have got to understand that God... The Lord Jesus Christ would have us build others. So what we find is God's plan. God would have us build our faith. God would have us build the kingdom. And God would have us build others. God's plan. But let's talk about garbage piles for a minute. Because isn't that where we are here in our passage? God wanted them to build the walls. But there was so much garbage. There was so much debris. That they couldn't even build the wall. You know, we've been 
demolitioning and gutting out the current building over there, the carousel. I still remember when we met for the first time on demo days. You guys remember that? I mean, there's a great number of us. We were all over there, and it was exciting. Uh, nothing had really been done significantly in the building at that point, and we all walked in. We were ready to get started. Everybody brought their kind of tools with them, and sle- you know, we had sledgehammers we bought and all kind of things to just demolish everything. Then we got up there, and we started tearing down walls and ripping down studs and, and just going crazy. I mean, it was amazing how much was getting accomplished so quickly. But as we were doing all of that, it just seemed that all that debris just kept piling up. All that rubbish just kept getting higher and higher. And then it seemed at one point there became this kind of a stream. It was like almost like there was a little line or a little lane that kind of developed. And on both sides was rubbish. And somebody would take a wheelbarrow full of rubbish out the door and take it out the back, upstairs, over top that awning, and throw it over the top down into a dumpster. I mean wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow, group of men carrying things in and out of, the, out of the doors and up those steps and right out the top of that building. I mean, it was unbelievable how much rubbish had piled, piled up. It was amazing. The truth was, is that if we had not taken the time to remove the rubbish, we would have accomplished nothing else. We literally spent hours, 30, 40 men at a time, Just removing the rubbish so that ultimately we can begin to build. Because you can't build on rubbish. You can't do it. Before the saints can build their faith. Before you and I can build the kingdom. Before we can build others. We may have to remove some rubbish. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, the Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's a firm foundation. You can build your life on Christ because there's no rubbish there. It's a firm foundation. As a matter of fact, over in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, the Bible says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. We learn in the Bible that very simply you have to build on a sure foundation. If you want anything that's going to last, if anything that's going to go past, uh, that's going to extend into the time, into time, if you want anything that's going to be there in the future, you have to build on solid ground. Listen, if there is rubbish in your life, if there are things there that are hindering or keeping you from building, you will never be able to accomplish the plan of God, the will of God for your life. What is it that keeps you from building your faith? You say, well, I'm in church tonight. I didn't ask you that. I'm talking about building your faith. You know the kind of faith that when you get that phone call, you don't throw your hands in the air and go, oh my goodness, there's no hope. The kind of faith that says, I can't even imagine this is going on in my life right now, but God, I know that you have a purpose. I'm going to trust you. I'm talking about that kind of faith. What's keeping you from having that kind of faith? 
I mean, what keeps you from building the kingdom? What keeps you from knocking on a door? What keeps you from uh, going and talking to a family member? What keeps you from sharing the gospel with somebody that's lost? What keeps you from passing out a track where you go? What is it that keeps you from building the kingdom? What keeps you from building others? I mean, what keeps you from joining the discipleship program or taking a person, a, a, a person within the congregation that you have uh, uh, seen that's maybe a little bit weak or just new to the Christian faith and saying, I'm going to make them a project in my life. I'm going to buy some materials in the bookstore and give it to them. I'm going to keep up on them and hold them accountable to those books. I'm going to continue to encourage them in the things of God. I'm going to pray with them from time to time. I'm going to read uh, the, the scriptures and when I find something, I'm going to share it with them. I'm going to get them a devotional that they can use every morning in their personal time. I'm going to make sure that they're growing in their Christian life. What keeps you from doing that? It's all God's plan. We noted some garbage piles, but last, let's note some glaring problems. First of all, a hectic schedule. Hectic schedule. If there's one thing that keeps us from doing what God's called us to, it's busyness. We're too busy. A person says, yeah, but my busyness is necessity. Hold on. Why were you created? What's your purpose for existing? Have you ever thought to yourself, why does God, why did God leave me on earth? Can I ask you something? If God wants us to build our faith, if God wants us to build the kingdom and God wants us to build others, did he leave us here to build our bank accounts? I'm just wondering. Did he build us, leave us here to build our family? Did he leave us here to build our uh, 401k? To build our future for retirement? Did he, did he do that? No, he left us here with a purpose. Those things are things that plug into that purpose and plan. They're never to take precedence over it. Oh, I know that doesn't fit good in your personal theology. But let me tell you something. God has a plan for you. And if it does include building your faith, then that means there should be nothing that keeps you off your knees. There should be nothing that keeps you out of your Bible. There should be nothing that keeps you out of God's house. If that plan includes building the kingdom, then there should be nothing that keeps us from passing out a track. Nothing that keeps us from learning the gospel plan. Nothing that keeps us from sharing the truth of the gospel with others. If that's the case and we are to build others, then there should be nothing that keeps me from investing my life into the life of others that need Him. But often I see a glaring problem, hectic schedules. Matthew 6, 24, can we make it as plain as we can? No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. What he's saying is, you can't serve both God and you can't serve the devil. You can't serve self and you can't serve God. It's either one or the other. That's what we find in the Bible. And so what we have to recognize and realize is that God has a purpose and a plan for our life. The problem is, too many times there's garbage And that garbage keeps us from fulfilling the building plan that God has for you and I as believers. And a hectic schedule seems to be one of those glaring problems. Number two, a selfish heart. A selfish heart. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 4, the Bible says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. 
You know, we've noted it a number of times. We talk about it. And truthfully, I mean, uh, I'm just as guilty as anyone else. The fact is, is that if I'm not careful, I find it much easier to invest my time, my life, into those that are closest to me. Think ones that are going to benefit my situation. Ones that are going to make my life a little bit simpler. Ones that are going to enhance my, my existence. Well, what about that man, that woman that just comes to this church that just gets gloriously saved? What about them? Who's going to take them under their wing? Who's going to invest their time? Who's going to influence their life? Who's going to inspire them to do the things of God and ultimately end up where you and I are? How's that going to happen? Sometimes I'm fearful that selfish hearts keep us from fulfilling the building process that God has for us. I mean, God wants us, obviously, as we said already, to build our faith, build the kingdom, and build others. I don't think anybody would argue that fact. But there's a glaring problem, it seems to me, in America and in our life and in our culture. It's a selfish heart. So we have hectic schedules, a selfish heart, and finally, a defeated attitude. A defeated attitude. I think one of the things that keeps us from building our faith and building the kingdom and building others is a defeated attitude. I mean, the Bible tells us in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It says, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. There is no doubt, there is no doubt, there is no doubt. That God wants you and I to be victorious. and That He's already made us conquerors through Christ. Because we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost in our life. We are able to overcome all obstacles. And yet we find ourselves often with a defeated mindset. Oh, it doesn't work today. God couldn't use me. Oh, I'm not the one to do that. God would surely have somebody else that's better qualified, better suited for that job. I want you to understand tonight that God has chosen you to build. And what God chooses us to do and what God calls us to do, what God commands us to do, He will enable us to do. Jeremiah and the people couldn't build the wall because there was rubbish in the way. And they had to remove that rubbish before they could move forward in their project before they could ultimately build those walls that afforded the protection, the safety, and the convenience that it did, they had to remove the rubbish. What stands between you and fulfilling God's plan of building your faith, building the kingdom, and building others tonight? What rubbish stands in your way? What needs to go? So that you can go. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this opportunity that we had tonight to just gather in this place. Lord, may you take these simple thoughts. May you drive them home in our hearts. Lord, we live in a very hectic society, a very selfish society. And Lord, a very insecure society. Help us, Lord, as believers to truly put our faith, base our faith on you, the foundation, the truth, the way, the life. And, Lord, may we stand victorious, Lord, and may we fulfill that purpose that you left us here to fulfill.
Help us to build. May we not allow rubbish to be in the way.